If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. And I did miss one announcement while you're turning there. Um, in addition, we have our yearly great giveaway. Um, and what this is, is, you know, for a lot of people, they collect all their stuff and then they have a garage sale to try to make some money. What Harvest Time has decided to do is to collect everybody's good stuff. Please don't bring your junk to church and make us throw it in our dumpster. But bring your good stuff to church and then we set it out and we invite the community to come in and get whatever they need. So if you have stuff that's sitting in your basement, your garage, and a storage unit somewhere that you want to get rid of that is good stuff that somebody else can use, we are starting to collect that stuff now over in the Family Life Center. There's a garage door on the back. Uh, make sure you come during the day so we can get it indoors and we will begin sorting all that stuff. In addition to that, we are still in need of boxes for storage. So if you have some old moving boxes or other different types of boxes that can be used to store some of this stuff, we are collecting that in basically in the same area. So make sure you bring all that during the week or on Sunday morning and leave it back by the garage door in the Family Life Center. The great giveaway, I believe, is going to be in May this year. So that's coming up soon. Okay. All right, so in Luke chapter 21 is where we're going to start today. Um, in my conversations with a lot of people, whether it be in the church or outside the church, um, I have come to recognize, and I believe you'll see this as well, that there is a, a, a spirit of fear that has kind of overwhelmed people in their lives. Um, and I don't think this is something that is... Um, relatively new, but it does seem like recently, whether it be uh, when people are thinking about the, the conflict in the Ukraine, or they're, they're thinking about riots in some of the bigger cities, or, or, they're, or they're thinking about the wars and the rumors of wars and all the things that seem to, um, seem to kind of pile on our heads, it seems like people are more afraid now than they've ever been. Um, couple that with the fact that for some people, the, they, they wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is they turn on the news, whether that be Fox News or CNN or whatever your, your channel of choice is. And for some people, they will literally turn that on, sit down and watch it all day. And they will saturate their mind and their heart with the troubles of this world to such a point where they will begin to lose hope. And the problem with that is that you and I, as human beings, as, as, as creatures created by God, were never designed to be able to handle the troubles of the entire world ourselves. And yet we, we spend a great deal of time trying to learn. We feel like some kind of obligation to be able to, to not only hear it, but then to internalize it and to feel all of this burden. Am I, am I, am I the only one that feels this way this morning? Like the troubles of this world are so great and we, we try to internalize it so much. But the reality is, is all that does for us, if we are not careful, is put us under an oppressive fear. Now, in, in this world, there's the fear of losing all kinds of different things, from, from fear of losing our freedom or, or fear of losing our comfort. For many, it could be fear of losing financial security. It could be fear of, of, of losing a nation, and you can tell people are afraid because they begin to act out in different ways. You, know, you may say, well, I'm not afraid, I'm angry. Well, I'm telling you today that I believe that anger is an outgrowth of fear. It's a fear of losing something that you believe that you deserve or you have a right to. And so you become angry when that, when that right is being threatened. And the problem with that, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, because as I've talked to people inside the church, 
People inside the church who claim to be followers of Christ seem to be saturated with as much fear as people outside the church. And my, and my brothers and sisters, that should not be. It should not be. In fact, the scripture 365 times from, from cover to cover says, fear not. Fear not. It's a command. Now, here's the problem. Um, we feel that fear is a feeling, and it can be, but the reality is, is that fear is also a choice. How we respond to these circumstances. Will we respond as someone who has hope beyond this earth, beyond these human circumstances that we find ourselves in? Where does your fear lie? What, let me ask you this question. Now, I'm somebody who struggles with anxiety and depression. It's something in my flesh that I struggle with. If I continually feed my mind the very things that feed that, that, that depression and anxiety, why am I then surprised when I have feelings of fear and anxiety? How much time a day do you spend feeding your mind the things of this world versus how much time in a day do you spend time feeding your spirit? You see, God never promised us that we would not have trouble. And I say this every time I preach. In fact, he says, you will have trouble. I'm like, That's a direct quote. You will have trouble. The issue is not whether or not there's going to be trouble. The issue is how are you going to respond when trouble comes? What is your perspective when the trouble comes? If your primary concern is the things of this earth, the cares of this earth, when the trouble comes in those things, it will be overwhelming. But if your perspective is set on the things above, on God's things, on the reality that he has promised to be with us and to walk with us, even through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear evil. Notice it doesn't say the evil's gone. It doesn't say that the evil isn't there. It says, I will be with you when you walk through the valley of that evil. And because of that, you can have a perspective that is victorious even when you are battling darkness. Now, Jesus knew this. In fact, uh, we're gonna, in Luke chapter 21, he's talking to his disciples. This is very shortly before he's going to be crucified, and he's like tidying up some loose ends for their thinking. He knows that as humans, they are going to um, be, have a tendency to be afraid. They are going to see all of these things that are happening in the world around them, all of these troubles, and they are, if not careful, will be overwhelmed by fear. In fact, we see this when Jesus is arrested. What is their first response? They're afraid. They run. They hide. This is the human response to stressful, struggling situations. So he is in the process in, in, in Luke chapter 21, which is called the Olivet Discourse. He is preparing them, and he's giving them information so that when things begin to look bad, because they will, that they have an idea where their hope should lie in the midst of that darkness. These are the words of Jesus as he's talking to his people. They have just left the temple. They are now outside, outside somewhere like on a, on a hillside. Imagine the disciples and Jesus sitting around talking. And this is what the words of Jesus and the disciples say, starting in verse number five. And while some were speaking of the temple, 
how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for those things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after these them, false teachers. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be all at once. Stop there for one moment. Let's discuss that. What's happening is that the people, these disciples, had just spent time with Jesus in the temple. And the temple at the time was a beautiful thing. It was, had all kinds of gold and jewels and incredible things. Um, but it was not the original temple. The temple originally had been destroyed many years earlier, and this temple had been built by, I believe, King Herod in order to, and it was a political move. It was his way of ingratiating himself to the people of Israel in that day. And when they went there, they, they were focused completely on the externals of what this building looked like, like how amazing the building was. It was huge. There's all kinds of precious stones and gold, and they were amazed by the external appearance of what was a religious symbol in their faith. Stop there for a second. How many of us, instead of worshiping the God of the universe, we get caught up in the externals of the facility that we worship in, the building, or maybe looking religious, or whatever it may be. We are very much like the disciples. They were in awe of that external worship. And Jesus comes in and says, well, I got news for you. Very soon, somebody's going to come in, and not one piece of this temple is going to be left standing. And Jesus basically is saying, listen, this is not, if your focus is on the externals, if your focus is on a building, if your focus is, is on a specific style of worship that you see in this temple, very soon, all that's going to be torn away. And what's left? You see, for many of us, we get caught on those externals. We get focused on whether the building is the right temperature or the right color or, or has the things that I think should be in it, whether there should be a cross on stage or not, whether there should be loud music or quiet music, drums or an organ, whatever it may be. We get caught up in all these external things, and Jesus is saying, very soon, this will all be gone. And where does your hope lie when all this disappears? He's also foretelling um, what the disciples did not know is that in A.D. 70, just a few years after this, um, the, the Jewish people would rise up and revolt against the Roman Empire. And, and they, they had some success early on. But shortly after that, the Romans got tired of their rebellion. And, he, and the Roman Empire came in and destroyed the temple and laid not one stone standing. Jesus is prophesying about the destruction of the external showing of, of the Jewish religion's faith. And he says to the disciples, starting in verse 8 again, when this is happening, when the external signs of your faith is being destroyed, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. In other words, I am the Messiah. And the time is at hand. And he says, do not go after them. 
when, when the external trappings of religion begin to be torn away from us and we begin to fear the loss of whatever we have placed our faith in, then we are ripe to be being led astray by false messiahs and false leaders. And we begin to look for that deliverance in everywhere and everything except for Jesus who has been promised to us as our Messiah, as our deliverer. And we begin to look to all kinds of things. For, for, for this group, there were people who, who stood up and claimed to be the Messiah, to be delivering the people of the Jews away from the Roman tyranny of their day. And he is saying, Jesus, his words, don't, don't do it. Don't go after those false deliverers. Don't set your hope somewhere besides me. Don't look to politics for deliverance. Don't look for government programs for deliverance. Don't look for human leadership for deliverance. Keep your eyes on me, Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Verse 9, he says, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. Now, this is specifically talking to the people of Israel at that time, specifically the disciples, but the, the application is the same for us. When you hear about wars and unsettlements around the world and all kinds of things, we as followers of Jesus should not be terrified. Are these things real? Yes. Should we be concerned? Yes. You can't follow God's directive to love God and love people without being concerned for people. That is what God has called us to do. But there's a difference between having a holy concern for the people of this world and joining in being terrified along with those people. We, we cannot allow fear to rule our hearts. And yet so many of our decisions, so many of the things we decide to do are in response to fear rather than in knowing that we've already won. What are you afraid of? Jesus says, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So he's referring to the future. In order for us to get to the good stuff of Jesus' return, his establishment of his kingdom on earth, him making everything right that's wrong in this world, we have to go through the war and the tumults. So as followers of Jesus, we should not be surprised when somebody like Putin invades another country. We shouldn't be. Scripture says over and over again, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and then the end comes. The reality is, is that as long as there is a, a sinful people on this planet, there will be war. We as followers of Jesus should be concerned about those things. We should be aiding in helping people and to, to meet the needs of people in their hour of need, but our primary concern must not be about war. It needs to be about the kingdom of God. For our primary citizenship, yes, I am an American and I'm proud of it, but my primary citizenship is not as a U.S. citizen. My primary citizenship is in heaven. And if you're a follower of Jesus, yours is too. Now he goes on in verse 10 to, he's actually giving two prophecies simultaneously here. He's actually prophesying about the end of the age when Jesus will return, but he's also talking about the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem in AD 70. 
And so he is actually giving some wisdom here about what's happening in just a few years. Starting in verse 10, he says, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you. Now notice in verse 12, it says, before all of this. So that first part, verses 10 all the way through 12, that's addressing what's happening at the end of the age, what's coming, what's still to come. And then he says, but before that happens, here's what's going to happen in the nearer term future. And he's telling the disciples, before this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict." You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, there's a, there's a couple phrases in there that almost seem to be in opposition to one another. He says, some of you will die for your faith. And then he says, but not a hair on your head will perish. How can those two things, how can those two things be simultaneously true? Well, what I believe in interpreting that is that the worst thing that could happen to you is not dying. Death for a believer is not the worst thing that can happen. Death apart from Christ, that is the worst thing that can happen. An eternity spent separated from God forever That is the worst thing that can happen. But dying specifically in this context for your faith is not the worst thing that can happen. In fact, he says, even if you stand up for your faith unto death, you will live. You will have life. Not even a hair on your head will perish. You see, there's a difference between dying and perishing. Dying is something we all must do in order, especially for followers of Jesus, to enter into God's presence and to experience that eternal reward. Perishing means to be dead eternally for all eternity and to be separated from God. So when we are faced with the circumstances, specifically the disciples here, where they are told, your family is going to turn against you. Your brothers and sisters are going to turn you in. The people that you did business with for years are going to drag you into synagogues and you're going to be beaten and you're going to be, um, your businesses are going to be stripped away from you. All the rights that you think that you are so thankful for now are going to be gone. But all of that pales in comparison to eternity. And not even a hair on your head will perish because God's got you even in the midst of the negative circumstances of your life. And if you know anything about the apostles, a vast majority of them died for their faith, standing strong for the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to the end. Now, the question that I ask you, and I think I need to ask myself, is this. What if all of those things were stripped away from me? What if the savings account that I have spent so much time and energy putting money into, all of a sudden tomorrow is gone? 
What if tomorrow, you know, most of us have spent a majority of our lives putting money into an equity for a home somewhere, and we have spent time and energy and resources. Some of us have worked multiple jobs in order to have that home be a security for us. Well, what if that home's gone tomorrow? Would you lose hope? What if there's an election, which there will be soon, and the person that you voted for does not get elected president? And you have placed all of your hope and faith into whatever candidate that is, Democrat, Republican, Independent, no matter who it is. You have placed all of your faith into that candidate, and that candidate loses. Do you lose hope? For many of us, the answer is yes. We have seen repeatedly the cycle where people begin to lose hope because they have placed their faith and trust in earthly things. Things that were never meant to provide us security because our hope and security needs to be found in Jesus Christ. And that is it. And yet when we place our faith and trust into the things of this world, even the good things of this world, when we lose, which scripture says sometimes you will on this earth, when bad things happen, what the scripture says will happen, when you are persecuted even innocently, do you lose hope? He is telling them, listen, you will have trouble. But where you place your hope, that will determine how you live in response to that trouble. Moving on to verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem, he's talking to the Jews again. This is talking about AD 70. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies... Then know that as the desolation has come, that let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that was written. If you're wondering where it was written, go back and check out Daniel, specifically in some of the last chapters of Daniel. He talks about that. Verse 23, alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. All of that has already transpired. Now, um, Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the history of, of, of preaching, said that this fulfillment actually has a dual fulfillment. It happened in AD 70, but it, something very similar is going to happen at the end of the age. And so some of these things can be translated in both directions. But specifically, the, I want you to focus on the last verse of that section, so verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Which, by the way, for 98% of us in this room, we are those Gentiles. That's who we are. We are Gentiles. And it says, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Paul was actively taking the gospel of Jesus and having it dispersed throughout the entire world. Not just for Jewish people, but for all of the Gentiles as well. And so we are now currently in this age of the Gentiles. And he's saying that... The Gentile, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, the Jewish people will be held captive. But then, hope. Verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Verse 26. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, 
And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Okay, let's let's cover that little section again. I love this. He says, again, there will be signs in the sun, in the moons, in the stars. There's going to be turmoil on this planet. There's going to be, like we talked about earlier, earthquakes. There's going to be wars, and there's going to be famines. And things on this earth are going to get really bad. What the scripture says. Nowhere in the scripture does it promise that things are going to get better before Jesus returns. It's going to get worse. People's hearts will grow cold, and they'll walk further away from God until the Son of Man comes. He says, and the, the problem, verse 26, will be that people will be fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Do you identify with that description? Fainting. Completely overwhelmed with fear. Um, this feeling of foreboding, of dread, because of the bad stuff that's happening in the world around us. Being completely overwhelmed with that negativity. And this is where I believe a majority of the world lives right now. But then he says to his followers, and by extension, us. Verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, he's talking about all that stuff that's a buildup to Jesus' return. He says, straighten up. He doesn't say hide in a corner. He doesn't say, you know, do nothing. He doesn't say allow fear to control you, to, to pound you into the dust. He doesn't tell you to live in fear and to hide away from everybody in the world and to not be a purveyor of the gospel during this time. He says, straighten up, raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. So instead of being drawn to fear because of all the stuff that's happening in this world, the commander of the, 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 the Jesus commands us to look up because these are nothing but signs of the return of Christ, where our hope comes from. You see, as a follower of Jesus, I know we got to go through some bad stuff, but I know what's on the other side. And no matter what trouble you're facing in this life right now, and most of you are, and I got news for you, if you're not, you will be soon. It's only a short time. It's temporary. And then our hope comes. Verse 29, he says, and he told them a parable. (laughs) I love it when he tells his stories. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things, all of these signs of the times that are around us all over the place, when you see them taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will not pass away. And some of them indeed did live until eighty seventy and saw the destruction of the temple. But then he gives a warning to them and by extension us, starting in verse 34. Watch yourselves. You hear that, church? Watch yourselves, lest your hearts, man, I feel like he's talking directly to me right now. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation 
and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What's What's he really saying there? He's saying that the cares of this world are so great that if we focus completely on them all the time, apart from the hope of Jesus, they will overwhelm us. The, the word that's used for drunkenness in this version is actually um, closer to a, a hangover. So basically what he's saying is, it's possible for you to focus on these things and to be weighed down with dissipation, with, with this just absolute dread, to feel like you're hung over and not have the energy or the, the health to do anything and the cares of this life. And we'll be so focused on the cares of this life that we will not spend our time looking for the hope that's been provided for us. You see, we know Jesus is coming back. One of you said amen. That's good. How about the rest of you? Jesus is coming back. We know that our hope lies there. We know that because he is coming back, that no matter what we're facing in this life, even if it overwhelms us and weighs us down, the scripture says that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us and he cares about what we're going through and he wants us to have hope, not in this world, Not on the things of this world, but we can have hope here and now in Jesus because we know how the story ends. And then he says this, church, stay awake. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We know Jesus is returning, and yet for many of us, we live like we don't know that. We say that our hope is in the return of Christ, and yet our primary concerns are on the things of this world. And how can you know that? Well, think about the things that you're most nervous about. What makes you fearful today? The stock market took a hit last week. Did that affect you in a negative way, emotionally, spiritually? Um, Some of you maybe missed a house payment or something like that. Um, What did that do to you emotionally, physically, spiritually? Some of you are right now standing in the need of deliverance of something spiritual, something something physical, no matter what it is. There's something that you need delivering. God has not decided to deliver you as of yet. How is that affecting you spiritually? Because we do know that deliverance is coming. God's timing is not always our timing, but he is going to deliver us. So are you awake this morning? Turn over one more passage before we close up today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The apostle Paul is writing this um, very close to the time that this stuff was, was actually, this, we, we just read about was actually fulfilled in AD 70. But this is what Paul is saying about the end times. Verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Again, you hear the same kind of idea. Don't be quickly shaken. Do not be disturbed by the things that God has already foretold and promised will happen. 
trust that he will work his, his will and his way and everything. Even scripture says he will, he will work out the good for those of us who are called according to his purposes. That means even in the midst of this suffering, even in the midst of the wars and rumors of wars and, and economies rising and falling and people harming one another and, and doing sinful things because they're sinful people, even in the midst of that, hold fast to the word of God. And that brings me back to what we talked about at the beginning. For many people, we saturate our hearts and our minds all day long with the cares of this world. I ask you to think about this. How much time do you spend watching or listening or reading about the things of this world compared to how much you're into this book? Why are we surprised if we spend all day watching news, listening to the news, all this terrible stuff that's going on in this world? Why are we so surprised when we are saturating our hearts, our mind, and our spirits with the concerns of this world, and we're lucky to get five minutes in this book? Why are we so surprised that we are absolutely overcome by fear? The only thing that can overcome the lies of this world is the truth of God. That's, this, is our, this is our weapon. This is what God gave us so we can have victory in this world along with the gift of his Holy Spirit. So the question that I have to ask you today is where are you placing your hope? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? God, over and over, 365 times says, don't fear. And the reason he can say that is because he knows how it ends. He sees it. He's got a plan, and he plans to use you for his purposes all the way through the end of the age of Gentiles. Now, the end's coming. I ask you this question. Does the end of the age, Jesus' return, fill you with peace and joy about something that's incredible that's going to happen, the gift of Jesus' return and his establishment of a kingdom on this earth and the making right of everything that's wrong in this planet, does that bring you joy? Or when you think about Jesus coming back, are you afraid? If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, yes, there are earthly things to be afraid of, but our hope in him can overcome all of that. And we can learn to focus on the things of God even in the midst of suffering. Where have you placed your hope? What are your eyes on and what are you afraid of? I urge you today to turn all these things over and to begin looking at all the events of this world around us through a lens of scripture and the Holy Spirit. Place your hope where it belongs. Because if you don't, you're going to be miserable. Just telling you. If you focus on this world and all that's wrong with this world and everything that's gone wrong, you're going to be completely miserable. If you fill your mind with Fox News and CNN News all day long, every day, you will be miserable. You will. If you fill your mind with the scripture and the truth of his word, music that glorifies God, hang around with people that benefit you spiritually and build you up and hold you accountable, those types of things. If if your focus is on the things of God, When the things on this earth go to hell, then the things of God can help you get through those times. Focus on him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, you are good.
You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of worship. You are worthy of all these things. And God, I pray that the things that we say we believe about eternity, the things that we hold on to for our eternal life will be just as true about how we live our life, that we will look for the gospel to give us strength to deal with even the troubles of this world. And I pray that our focus will be on you and your kingdom. Yes, we are concerned for the things that are happening in this world. Yes, we do, you know, we can't bear our head in the sand and pretend like things aren't happening. But we also have to understand, Lord Jesus, and help us to see this, that our hope does not lie here on this earth. Our hope lies in you. And I pray that we will turn our hearts and our minds and our lives to you. And that any time that we are feeling overwhelmed by fear, that we will cast our attention and our eyes on you, Jesus. Move in us, Lord Jesus. Spirit, Holy Spirit, move in us. Convict us of those things that we have put ahead of you. May we respond to that conviction. Have your way in us today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.